Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Today we have Clemenza and Salazzo. How's it going, guys? Excellent. It's going great. Thanks for having us. Hey, man, it's been a kind of a journey, hasn't it? Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand where our kind of association started. And with, uh, with Texas Slim's vision and the Beef Initiative and Food Intelligence, I remember, I think I got a uh, DM from you. Clemenza, right. let's talk mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, this is pretty serendipitous for us. It um, is. Wait one second. Yeah. You are the meat mafia. We are We are, we are the, the meat, meat mafia. mafia. You are the innovators <laughs> and the founders of the meat mafia. And you're the honorary Don at this point. There you go. We'll take that. <laughs> so tell us the story. Well, well the, the story starts uh, in my one-bedroom apartment with Salazzo sleeping on my floor <laughs> and, and me DMing you to start writing for you. Um, so... That was the connection and we luckily got a response from you and uh, I was looking to get into writing about regenerative agriculture for my own educational experience. I uh, had moved down here to Austin from Boston and was trying to figure out a way to get into regenerative agriculture an industry I had no background in. Right. And so the idea was, let's just figure out how to get in, start writing about it, start learning about it and teaching other people what I'm learning along the way. And your platform was, was, uh, my starting point with that. Right. And just being able to start writing about what I was interested in. And so, you know, that, that's where the, the ball got rolling. I was into Bitcoin at that point. So I knew who you were and I had heard your message over the summer and was, mm -hmm. you know, listened to a bunch of other people about the connection between, uh, real food and real health. And that to me struck a chord. So that's where it started. Um, started writing some long form, long form podcasts for you or sorry, long, long form blogs for you. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, Salazzo and I were living together in a, a one bedroom apartment sharing thoughts. And, uh, we had moved down here actually, uh, in October to, to run an Ironman together. So we were before my one bedroom apartment, we were living in, in an Airbnb training for this Ironman and, uh, cooking all our meals together. Mm -hmm. I still remember, you got to remember that HEB run. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> $400 HEB run, yeah. just loading up on ribeyes and ground beef. And the woman at the checkout register was like, you guys having a party tonight? We're like, no, this is just food for three or four days. But right. that's, it's, it's interesting too, just the, the whole convergence that we've had together because Clemenza and I, we went to college, we played baseball together. We were really close and like a lot of friendships, you graduate and then you just grow apart for whatever reason. So we started signing up for these endurance races as a way for us to just reconnect and train for something together. And then we did, we were supposed to do a half Ironman in 2019. And then we said, well, why don't we just do a full distance Ironman? It was like 2020. It was in the middle of COVID. We were looking for something to shake, you know, just to shake it up. And then we're training together. We're in Texas. We're doing Ironman Waco and we're cooking all of our meals together. I was into an animal based diet. Harrison was into an animal based diet. And we're like, we're into this we're into this very similar things. So it's like, we have this nutrition piece to it. And then Harrison starts to write for you, which brings the connection point back to, all right, well, where's our food coming from? And the deception that's been told to us by big food and just Western society in general, 
And it's really led to the birth of the meat mafia and what we're doing now. So the convergence has been pretty cool. Like I very, I very vividly remember writing my first thread talking about how I healed my colitis on our carnivore diet. And mm-hmm. you and I jumped on a, tele, a telegram call. And I remember, I think I ended up walking like five miles because we were on the phone for so long. To, so to think back that that was January, which isn't that long ago, but so much has happened since then is really cool. Yeah, it feels like a couple of years and everything, but that's that's actually the good thing about it because if it feels like a big timestamp there, what that means is that you've accomplished a lot during that short period of time. Mm-hmm. What that shows you is the intentionality of a low time preference way of looking at something that you're trying to basically educate yourself more on and then what you're trying to help other people hear that you're trying to tell them and try to advise them and try to mentor, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of the beautiful thing about, you know, the food intelligence that I think all of us are trying to bring to, you know, the masses, you know, to, to America, especially to the world is that this is not a high time preference thing. This Mm -hmm. is something that is a daily life, uh, sometimes struggle. It's a daily life leverage of a type of information and intentionality of your actions. So let's all go to, let's, let's all revisit. The reason I got into food intelligence, you know, I'm, I tell people I'm pretty beat up. I have over 20 broken bones. I've got 14 pieces of metal into me. And um, a couple of years ago, I got, I got an internal injury that beat me up pretty bad. And I had to look at food again. And I said, well, this is going to be a good place to start. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to get to the source of the seed of why I function as a human being. Mm-hmm. So that was my journey into the rabbit hole of food intelligence because of my background of uh, ancestral ar- uh, agriculture and ranching. You know, my family, that's how we came to be in the state of Texas. Everybody has a different story of how they understand food and especially how we're moving forward, you know, within the kind of a health initiative across this nation. So each of you tell us, what did you, what were your struggles? I mean, because this is not something that it's a hobby. This is something that it is your lifestyle. It is something that you've crafted and you have a skill set to do it, but it didn't come overnight. Mm-hmm. You start with that one. Yeah, I think. The, the nutritional piece is interesting. I actually just looked, saw this the other day. I think now seven of 10 deaths in the U.S. are caused by chronic disease. And in 1900, it was almost all infectious diseases. And a lot of these chronic diseases are caused by lifestyle, dietary choices, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, different types of chronic diseases, et cetera. I fall into that chronic disease camp. I've had ulcerative colitis for six years. Mm-hmm. So my story is that, like I just mentioned, Clemenza and I were both athletes growing up. We both played baseball in college. So I was just the typical, you know, I lifted weights. I drank the protein powder, the pre-workout and justified that I could eat whatever I want just because I was quote unquote healthy because I was playing sports at a high level. Great family. My mom was an amazing cook, but I definitely fell into more of that standard American diet. A lot of sandwiches, a lot of sugar, soda, et cetera. Flash forward, um, my junior year of college, I'm interning in New York City at the time. I was living with my parents in New Jersey, commuting into the, into the office in New York. So it was about a two-hour commute one way, so four hours total. I started noticing that my stomach, I was having like in some blood in my stool for back of, lack of a better term. And as the summer went on, uh, the blood continued to get worse and worse. I ended up losing 30 pounds. I got hospitalized. I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is uh, it's a chronic disease where you basically get ulcers in the inside of your, your colon. And most it's most common with men that are in their 20s. The sister mm-hmm. disease is Crohn's. It's also IBS is a very close relative to it. 
um, and they tell you that it's an incurable disease. The best that they can do is you can go into remission, but you can't actually cure it. So what they do is they get you on this biologic medication. I got on a medication that was called Remicade, and I was supposed to get it via infusion every eight weeks. So in the, in the infusion, we talked about this, it was $50,000 per infusion. So you calculate how much they're spending just on me in a calendar year. Couple that with all the other people that have Crohn's, colitis, IBS, like the, the cost is, is insane. So, you know, I'm, get, I'm getting on the biologic. Um, I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but I'm still eating. I'm still eating the old traditional way where I'm, I, I'm starting to work out more, but I'm still eating the sandwiches at lunch, the pizza, going to a happy hour every now and then. And I feel good because I'm starting to lift more weights and do more endurance races, but I can tell my health isn't optimal. Like I, I mentioned, we were supposed to do a half Ironman together. My stomach got so inflamed that I had to miss the entire race. And this was 2019. So here I am saying, um, sorry about no, that. No, it's all good. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> it happens. Some rancher in Colorado. Right. Yeah. Actually, that was Cole Shout Bolton. out Jason. Rick. Hey, that was Cole Shout Bolton. Can't see farms. There you go. Here we go. Free plug. Cole. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to cost you, Cole. Right. <laughs> um, but so it's, yeah, so it's 2019 and I'm, I'm feeling great physically, but I still don't feel like I'm as healthy as can be. And then this concept of a carnivore diet starts emerging on the internet. So Sean Baker goes on Joe Rogan and I start seeing these people that are, that are claiming that they're healing these chronic diseases by eating all meat, eggs, chicken, beef, et cetera. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Does it meat cause heart disease, stroke, et cetera, all the, all the standard narrative that we've been taught. And then I go on Reddit one day and there's all these people that are talking about having Crohn's and colitis and IBS that are claiming that they're healing this diet from this carnivore approach. Yeah. And that's when all the red lights went off in my head because I'm thinking to myself, what's the worst that can happen? I could literally try this diet. Best case, I heal myself of this disease where, you know, you're going to the bathroom 20 plus times a day. It's a terrible way to live just by eating meat. What I have, I literally have nothing to lose at this point. So yeah, and I'm living in New York at the time. So I remember so vividly like going to whole foods for the first time, because this is prior to food intelligence. So I'm still going to the, the, fiat, <laughs> the fiat grocery stores, loading up on, you know, steaks, ribeyes, ground beef, chicken, all the stuff that they tell you. I'm in this tiny little shoebox apartment. I'm smoking out the apartment, cooking on a cast iron. And I noticed within the first week, my stomach like it, there was like this clarity to my stomach health. My stomach felt already felt better than it ever had. I was down to going to the bathroom like once a day, which that's like the, for me, that's insane. My skin health got better. My mental clarity got better. Anxiety went away. And I'm like, this is in a week. So it sounds like it's too good to be true, but this is literally what happened to me. So then I decided to do the diet for a month. Skin gets better. Energy gets better. Physique gets better. Stomach is continuing to improve. And I, so I, I think I ended up doing a strict carnivore diet for about two months, which was steak, chicken, bone broth, eggs. And I incorporated some dairy and things like that. And this is beginning in 2019 or yeah, 2019. Exactly. After that, after that race. Yeah. And so I, that was the first period of my life where I'm thinking to myself, these dietary inputs have a massive effect on the quality of your life. Right. And I tried this Westernized approach that got me sick in the hospital, lost 30 pounds, going to the bathroom 20 plus times a day. And then I'm eating this unconventional approach of pure animal protein. And I feel better than I ever have in my entire life changed. So it's, it's interesting. And we'll let Clemenza tell his story too, but it's like, there's this progression, right? Where you have your own nutritional journey 
And then that led us to you because you're like, all right, well, now that I feel good, where is my food actually coming from? And then you start to peel back the curtain and all that. So that's mm-hmm. really how it started for me was using meat to heal this incurable chronic disease. And I should mention, I'm now off all medication. I Excellent. got, I got, a, I, you're supposed to, with colitis, you're supposed to get a colonoscopy every, every once every two years. I got one literally a year ago, no inflammation, no microinflammation. got off all medication, which is like seemingly unheard of. And you're starting to see more, more carnivores that are also having similar effects. So it's pretty incredible what your diet can do for you. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a good story. Yeah. 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 I don't know how I'm going to back that one up. <laughs> hey, we all, like, we're all <laughs> unique, man. We're all, bad, unique. we all have our own batting story. after the cleanup here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my story, my story price for the change that's got me here probably started at the beginning of COVID. So I was, um, I was working a corporate job and had been, a very active person my entire life, but was slowly becoming less active. And at the same time, slowly starting to become not as in tune with what I was eating. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working long hours, you know, um, stressful job, sitting at a cube all day, all the fun stuff. And, um, you know, I can, I can think to the meals that I was eating and the snacks that I was eating back at that time. And it's stuff that I wouldn't touch now, but you know, it's, getting up and going to the kitchen in the office and grabbing some Oreos, grabbing some Doritos. <laughs> and over time that all added, added up. Right. So, you know, I was working at this job for five, six years and, you know, through that time, I, I was very uh, nutritionally aware, but mm-hmm. with a job a little bit checked out. Right. So, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I, I was trying to do the right thing uh, throughout that mm. after graduation, trying to, so, you know, stay in shape, but was always kind of one foot in, one foot out and slowly getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so going from being an athlete to, you know, kind of your, your standard, uh, you know, guy working a nine to five job. And so I was uh, realizing that, you know, things were slowly starting to go the wrong way. I was probably weighing in at like 245 pounds, which for me was uh, like 25 pounds, 30 pounds heavier than I usually am. Mm. And, uh, that was right at the beginning of COVID. And once I, once COVID hit, I was working remotely and I went from cooking a third of my meals to all my meals and the light bulb switched onto my head again, which, you know, for me, I was always a very active and intentional person, but I think my diet had definitely been a a source of some problems previously. I had terrible acne as a a teenager and had to get on Accutane. And I, I attribute a lot of that to the diet that I was eating, uh, you know, as Brett said, his, his mother was a great cook. My, my mother was always trying to put great food on the table, but I would go to school and eat this garbage food. I was like, and I was a football player and like a baseball player and with a voracious appetite, I would go into the lunch line and clear the whole place out (laughs) with eating subs and ruffles and nachos and cookies and the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how how much crap I was eating, but I was also in good shape and, uh, playing sports and and a a high achiever in in sports. So I was like, there's, there's nothing wrong except I had terrible acne. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, uh, I actually resulted to, um, getting on medication for that, took Accutane and cleared the acne up, but you know, you're still, still have those habits when, you know, you're, you're still eating the garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time that catches up with you. Um, I started to make those changes at the beginning of COVID and, and have 
not look back. So I, at the beginning of COVID lost like 25 pounds eating mostly a keto diet was what it was called, but it was an animal based diet for sure. It was yeah. 95% animal based and just eating clean and it's stuck. Like once you see it and once you start eating that way, you have built up enough, uh, confidence in yourself and that that is the way to go. And uh, I think that I was just uh, felt amazing. And so I have, haven't really looked back and we signed up for the Ironman. It was just a lot of, a lot of momentum kind of channeling towards all this health and nutrition that, that we talk about. And so, you know, over time I was, I was ready to leave my job and knew that this was sort of the path that I wanted to go down and focus on talking about nutrition and health and with all the issues that we see out there today, like 88% of people in the, in the U S were suffering, suffering from some sort of metabolic dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's an overwhelming amount of people to be dealing with health problems. Uh, and so when I think about our stories, I think about food as being the bedrock of, of how we created change for ourselves. And, uh, I think that your story kind of bridges the gap between, creating the food and then, um, on the other side of it, giving it to people who can then go make mm-hmm. the best lives for themselves. Yeah. What, it, I mean, that's a good point. And, and I have to bring this up all the time, all of the things that we're doing as far as our nar- narratives, the signal that we're sending to people and everything, it's not a judgment against anybody. No. We're all victims of this, of some form of deception within our consumption models that have been created for us. And they've been created by institutions that usually are not, you know, their intentions is not for our, our health. Mm-hmm. And they have leverage to make it to where it looks like it's for our health, but really it's about margins and yields and profit and power. Once you can accept that, you know, acceptance is a key whenever you get to a point in time in your life where you have to look at that accountability mirror. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's driven upon you by circumstance. Sometimes it's, you know, it happens by happenstance. Mm -hmm. But what people have to really understand is, you know, that accountability mirror is there for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's opportunity. It's free. It's a, it's a form of empowerment that you can bring into your mindset. And especially what I really liked about, you know, you first contacted me, Clemenza, was that you were showing something that was purpose driven. Mm. You were getting back to first principles of life, really, of what you wanted to become and where you're coming from and kind of a path forward that you didn't know where it was going. But you're willing to take that step and say, hey, I'm going to try something new here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially, you know, I believe it's Joe Rogan and actually Marty said it yesterday, you know, there's a form of quiet desperation going on right now in society. And I I see it in young men as well. They don't have that guidance. Mm -hmm. They don't have that kind of a intestinal fortitude, sorry for the pun, to be able to (laughs) go out there and take that first step, you know, and where do you start? You know, everybody's baffled. Where do I start with this? Because I I have a nutritionist, I have a dietitian, Mm -hmm. I have a, a doctor telling me all this stuff. What we need to understand is it's not complicated. All we have to do is kind of get down into the source of the seed of who we are and what nutrition is Mm -hmm. down to the soil. And that's what, you know, led all of us here, you know, into the regenerative mindset that becomes a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And by 
I, you know, whenever I started writing about the harvest of deception, I had no idea where this was going. All I needed to know that I needed to basically expose some truth here Mm -hmm. and not be afraid to expose that truth and do it with some really kind of based information that is out there for everybody to, to obtain. They just don't know how to obtain it. Mm. And so that's been our responsibility collectively here, especially in the Bitcoin community, especially in the regenerative community. It's like, Hey people, I know you're looking at all the distractions right now. And you're, you're basically believing in this deception that's been brought upon you and your family. So how do you move forward? Well, let's get down to the source of the seed of what we have access to. And then with our writings, our narrative and our signal, we are a new market access to health. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I felt is a responsibility and an obligation that I had to own. And whenever I did that, I all I've done in, since then is keep on, you know, continuing down that path. But I'm bringing people in that are doing the same thing that I'm doing, hence the meat mafia. Mm-hmm. So tell me kind of your idea behind the meat mafia explain it a little bit more for people to understand and where you see as far as it going. What is your projection? What is your destination? We talk about that all the time about what is your destination? Yeah, I think in simplest terms, we're trying to drive people back to real food and get people thinking about food, not as something that you're going to open up a a bag of a plastic bag of chips to get your nutrition from. You're going to actually intentionally go seek out real foods and make that a priority. Uh, I think that speaks to some of the points that you just made, which is, you know, a lot of young men are losing a battle with themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's, it's a matter of kind of finding the person that you want to be. And I think a lot of people benefit from treating themselves right through eating correctly. And I think part of that battle is really just around going out and being intentional about the way you eat and live your lifestyle. So, you know, I think the lifestyle is, is important. Like it's, it's about doing things that are intentional. You have, you know, a standard for yourself that you want to set and uh, it starts with food, but it projects into everything else. So Mm -hmm. we want to be that catalyst that gets people thinking about food as a way to do everything you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We see food as the gateway to taking autonomy over your own life. That's really what it comes down to. Right. When I think we wrote a thread about this, there are such few inputs that you actually have control over in your life, but the dietary inputs, which you consciously choose to make, to make and put and nourish your body with makes such a massive difference in terms of the way that you look, your mental clarity, your mood. Um, We literally spoke to Doug Reynolds, who runs a runs low carb USA. And he said that every year that they do a, they do their big conference in San Diego. He's shocked at the number of spouses that come up to them and say, thank you so much for giving me my husband or my wife back because they literally seem like a different person just by adopting this low carb animal based approach. So it's, it's the autonomy of the food that's, that's key. But then we also want to teach people how to actually be doing that, right? Like something that's so key to the beef initiative and your message is to shake your farmer's hand. There's so many tools that are now out there to be all these different websites and ways to be able to connect with your farmer. We want to help teach people how to do that, how to shop at a grocery store. Like it's, it's great if we talk to them about what are the right foods to eat, but we want to make it so simple just to give people a blueprint of how they can be eating what are some of the different dietary strategies? How should they be sourcing these foods? 
yes, the farmer going to your farmer is great, but maybe there's a situation where you're in a pinch and you have to go to Costco or Whole Foods. Let's teach you how to navigate that grocery store right. so you understand how to eat. So it's a convergence yeah. of all that. Go ahead. I, I think to that point too, like we've, we both had our own struggles with this. And so we understand the psychological aspect of what it feels like when you're kind of down and out on like, what are my options here to change, turn this thing around? And so I think it does branch into, it's not just us throwing out facts about nutrition. It's talking about the psychological aspect of having someone who's going to hold you accountable, like a, a friend who is going to push you to, to get to that next spot, that next little plateau for you to get to in terms of your health journey, getting things under control. Uh, we spoke with Mike Collins the other day, had an amazing conversation about the, uh, he's, he calls himself the sugar-free man. Yeah. And he speaks about addiction and how in a lot of ways we have, we have a societal addiction to dopamine, which is really a survival chemical. Mm -hmm. And so it, it drives a lot of behavioral uh, changes in people. And so when we have all these things in society that are causing these dopamine hits, you know, if, if you can get the most base level survival, which is consuming food that if you can get that dopamine hit under control, there's that's step one. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, w with that comes so, so many different avenues for people to then go, you know, do whatever they want to do with their lives. Once you, once you get that under control. It's, it's an excellent point. And I haven't really brought this to the discussion yet, but it's, it's in the plans this year. A lot of people don't realize my father, he was a, a counselor for 25 years, mm. LCDC counselor, licensed chemical dependency counselor. So he saved a lot of people's lives. He got a lot of people out of addiction. And um, I'll, I'll tell kind of a broad story here. Whenever I was younger, like I think it was in my twenties, I remember Eric Clapton, you know, mm -hmm. he was, an, he was an addict. He, uh, he got, you know, rehabilitated and everything. I think it was 60 minutes back then. They asked him, I said, when did your addiction started? He said, it started as a child when I started consuming sugar. A lot of people don't understand that sugar really, it, alcohol is sugar, mm -hmm. you know, and so a lot of the addiction in this, as far as drug addiction in this country and in the world, of course, is based on our food consumption as a child. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do not realize that. Yes, absolutely. And through my lifetime, I've seen the decades of how food changed mm -hmm. and, you know, knowing and having conversations with my father the last 25 years. One thing that he always told me and he tells me to this day is acceptance is the key. Mm -hmm. So whenever you can accept that your consumption model is based on lies and it's going to lead to a form of addiction that you don't understand yet, then you can kind of put your feet on the ground again and have that intentionality about your decision making about what you're going to do as far as your consumption model. Mm -hmm. The addiction in this country, basically everybody thinks it's a drug addiction. Well, we have a drug addiction towards food. Our food is a drug these days mm -hmm. because of what it does to our metabolical health. Yes. And uh, the, the dopamine that's thrown in there, the high time preference, the uh, debased food that we're basically consuming based on a debased dollar, it all leads to a perfect storm of basically shorter lifespans and stolen times for children in this nation that they're not getting to basically leverage to be able to give them empowerment into their older years. Mm -hmm. You know, once we can get this understanding and people can start accepting that we're coming from proof of work here, every one of us here sitting in this room, we've been there. We've had those struggles. We've looked in that mirror and say, I've got to change, man. 
I've got to realize and accept that what I've been taught and what I'm basically been doing to my own self with good intentions, sometimes, sometimes not, is something that I need to revisit. Mm-hmm. If we can make under, if we can bring that perspective and perception to people's minds and their decision-making skills within spouses, within raising children, within the individual itself, what we're doing is we're creating a sovereign individual that has a mindset that will empower in, in a way um, to where we do start saving children's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, you know, I've talked to you guys about mentoring. You know, my boy, he's 17 years old. He's graduating high school. And the first thing I want him to do is to become friends with you guys and you mm-hmm. guys start mentoring. You're, you know, you're older than him. He's 17. You're in your late 20s, I guess. And then what we can do is we can create that type of pattern that people start looking at because you have to take ownership. If you're going to if you're going to you know walk the walk, you got to talk the talk and you got to talk the talk to walk the walk. So by doing that, I think mentoring is a big thing. I think that we need to look at mentoring again as far as a nation, mm-hmm. as far as men is concerned. But one thing for sure, we have to give I'm really looking at the mothers of this nation right now Mm -hmm. within the beef initiative. I know moms think about food all the time because they have to feed their children and they're trying to make the right decisions and they've been lied to. And they are targeted in a way with our labeling laws, our marketing and our advertising that is deceptive. And that's what food intelligence is all about. And that's whenever you guys came to me, you guys had done a hell of a lot more research than I was able to put in, in the type of, uh, you know, the writings that you guys have basically performed and brought to the public is, is pretty impressive. So let's talk about talking to the mothers of this nation and talking to the teenagers of this nation, both men and women, boys and girls. And, and I think something that's core to understand and what we learned from your Substack is that part of the issue, when we, when we post these threads, there is a group of people that think that we're being conspiratorial, right? right? When you yeah. talk about big food, trying to manipulate your taste buds and all the things that you just mentioned, they think that you're being conspiratorial. So what we try and do is say, okay, you think we're being conspiratorial. Why don't we lay back 50 years of history and document the exact decisions that these companies made to get you so addicted to your food, right? Right. Clemenza just talked about, he's working a real estate job. He's lifting weights. He's in in quote unquote good shape, but he still can't stop himself from eating the Cheez-Its or the Oreos because big food knows that in nature, it's very rare to find combinations of salt, sugar, and fat in single foods. They know how to combine all these ingredients. They have food scientists to do it. And they put these combinations together to the point where it's like, we might all be carnivore here. If you, if you put a bag of Cheez-Its in front of me, I promise you, I'm not going to be eating just a handful. I'm going to smash the entire bag because that stuff is so mm-hmm. addictive and it's funny, but it's actually true. Yeah. Right. So once you start to realize that they, they have weaponized food, and it extends from the fact that these these the top 10 leading big food companies are publicly traded, like you mentioned. So as a result of that, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to maximize value. And the industrial food system is set up to create as much food as possible, as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible. It's like, yeah, no shit, we're in the health crisis that we're in right now. Right. So we want to just peel back the curtain on that health crisis, be able to tell mothers, fathers, people like your son, Hey, this is actually why saturated fat is demonized. Hey, this is what happened when we started incorporating more animal proteins or worried about the digestion of our food, be able to actually peel back the curtain and give them the actual information and the actual insight into what is going on. 
because they're being, they're being told the exact opposite, right? It's like, if a, if a mom, if a mom is watching TV or on YouTube, she's getting advertisements for Oatly and these fake commodities, like you talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. because they have $12 billion valuations and they can throw marketing budgets and put all the environmental and nutritional research behind it to fit their narrative. And then these moms think, Oh, well, this must be healthy for my kid. Why am I giving them dairy? Why am I giving them meat when we've been, when we've been eating these things for thousands of years and, and have thrived. And then we pull, then we stop eating these things for the last 50 years and we start to see our health severely decline. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. So it's a loaded, I know that's a loaded answer, but there's a lot to it. Well, it, it is loaded and that's why we have to, you know, we have to let people know where to start. Mm-hmm. I like to, now you can go back 120 years and you can, you can go back to, uh, you know, certain type of uh, Procter and Gamble, you know, they sold mm-hmm. candles at the turn of the century. Well, they made candles out of cotton seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, all of a sudden there's electricity. Well, candles weren't selling that much anymore. Well, what are we going to do with that cotton seed? Well, we're going to turn it into Crisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what do we have? You know, we have Crisco. What is Crisco? Well, it's rapeseed. What is rapeseed? Well, it's canola oil. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fake commodity. Well, how did we get here? I don't know. 1956 FDA outlawed freaking rapeseed for human consumption. And now it's in probably 80% of the food that we eat and they can insert that into any type of product that we consume because it's based on fake commodity, fake value. And it is something that they can subsidize to the farmers and ranchers. They can ask the farmers and ranchers basically, Hey, not as much wheat this year. We want you to do some rapeseed. You're going to get some more yields. You're going to get some more margins. I mean, we could talk about that for four days, but what people have to understand is that's the truth. It's, it, it is what it is and acceptance is a key. So let's move on from that because, you know, I got into, you know, everything talking about the, let's say seed oils last year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, w- once you understand that seed oil is a poison and you, know, you can accept that as an individual, then you move on. And that's what we're trying to do because, um, you know, what do you see on, you know, let's say Bitcoin Twitter right now, they're, they're attacking Bitcoiners because uh, we're being toxic towards uh, a certain new diet. Mm-hmm. And it's based on this masculinity and it, it you know, it, it's, it's uh, hateful. And it's, you know, there's so many things that come after us as far as people trying to get people to live in that truth of what seed oils really are. It's, I, don't really hate seed oils. I hate the process of what has become a seed oil and what it does to everybody's health. You know, that people don't realize that seed oils pretty much probably cause skin cancer, acne, you know, um, you know, fatty liver disease. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking with Dr. Mary Kerr last week on a podcast, and now we're having teenagers come into her office with fatty liver disease. Yep. That doesn't usually happen unless you have 20 to 30 years of freaking alcohol consumption. And people are not being told this truth. And, you know, we, we've, we've started talking to a lot of the same medical people, you know, Dr. Phil Ovedia, mm-hmm. Dr. Mary Care, and you guys are bringing more and more Dr. Sean Baker. You know, what we're seeing is the medical community, the people that really realize and know what's going on, they're coming to us, we're going to them. So it's becoming a collective exchange of really based information. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you say this new diet that these Bitcoiners are, are pushing. Yeah. It's an old diet. Exactly. It's eat like your grandma and grandpa. <laughs> like, yep. yeah, it's not this new thing. It's, it's reversing the clock on all the, the wrongdoings that have happened over the past 50 years when 
the ADA guidelines came out about how, how they think you should eat. And then all the different, different externalities that came after that in terms of all these companies trying to figure out ways to keep moving the needle and, uh, optimize cost and, and, uh, you know, do what's best for them and not what's best for you. I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier was the self sovereignty Mm -hmm. aspect of your health. And we talk about this all the time with uh, continuous glucose monitors. It's this new technology, not really new, but it's, it's labeled for, for diabetics use. But I think it's a complete self empowerment tool that allows you to self experiment and see exactly your relation, what your relationship is with food. So if if you, if you want to go, okay, I'm going to go get a a CGM and see what's real out here and, and like what's not, you can, you can listen to the mainstream narrative and watch what your, what your CGM monitor does. And you can tell it's a lie detector. Like it will be a lie detector. Mm, that, right. that that thing will tell you exactly what's happening and your body will tell you exactly what's happening. So it's a, a feedback loop that's actually productive. And I think that there's huge promise in that, that psychological factor where it's okay. We're, we're going to allow an avenue for individuals to, to now, uh, get the information for themselves and actually start to discover what it means to be healthy and empower them. Uh, I think that that is something that the self-sovereignty idea that's that technology is a key component of it when it comes to health. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a good leverage of technology in, in, in how you get there mentally. What I had to do is I had to really, you know, going back to first principles again is like, I had to ask myself, why do you desire what you desire? Mm -hmm. And you can't leave any cracks in that question. And you, you have to answer it fully and you have to say, why do I desire that bag of chips? Why do I desire this, uh, you know, this, whatever it is, you know, anything (laughs) these days. But once you can answer that question and you can, you can say, well, I desire this because it tastes good. I mm-hmm. always rag on people because oh, I, I know Taco Bell's horrible for me, but it tastes good. It tastes damn good. You know, it's, so and, good. It, it, it's and, okay and, to admit that. Right. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, you're right. You know why? Well, let's talk about a company called Royal DSM. You know, mm-hmm. they design every, basically everything that we had, you know, all of us today. Maybe Royal DSM had something to do with that. If if you're consuming out there in the general public and you're buying from the retail apparatuses that basically have to cater to all these commodity type of foods that have been set up in our, our industry and in our consumption model. So by knowing that, it's like, okay, what does what does taste good? What does taste mean to me? Mm-hmm. And whenever I started going towards, you know, I'm not full carnivore, but I just went back to my roots. As you said, Clemenza, as far as I tell people, look over your shoulder, look what your grandma and grandpa or your great grandmother and grandfather did. How did they live? Well, they lived in a way that got us here and it came with strength because a lot of them were surviving and they had to fight some stuff to get there, but they had to be very intentional with their consumption models. So if you can look over your shoulder and you can understand that what you're, you think might taste good these days, if you start doing animal protein, I can't, I can't consume anything else unless it is something that is that pure dense type of nutrition that, you know, pure, you know, animal protein gives you. It tastes good. All this other crap, it, it is horrible to me now. Mm-hmm. When what's ha- what happens when you reset that, that bar where you're only eating pure animal protein or just high quality real foods and then you go back to eating a, a bag of chips it's like you feel like you just fell off a building like it's, you do. it's a terrible feeling and that's when you realize okay 
that is the difference between real food and mm-hmm. real products mm-hmm. when, when it comes to nutrition. It really is. And when I went, I, you know, I embedded myself in that harvest company so I could kind of go out there and see what was going on, you know, mm-hmm. as far as commodities, you know, planning cycles, wh- where it was going, what, the, what the purpose of, you know, the, the harvester, what the purpose of it was the farmer, again, the seed companies, everything, the technology use agreements that were used. And what I found out is that even on harvest, I was out there because I was eating damn good before I went on harvest, but you're out there, you know, on a combine and tractor and you're, you're working a lot, right? You're out they're working well all these guys man they're young guys and we go we went to walmart we're out in the middle of freaking nowhere north dakota you go 100 miles to a walmart you have to buy food for a month well we bought about two thousand dollars worth of freaking food that's you know the pizza pockets the chicken tendies all that crap i give you know (laughs) make fun of but man i had to eat that right you had to and i had to get off of that good pattern of consumption that i designed for us i felt like crap oh man I can't you imagine. can feel it mentally right I, yeah How did you i was feel mentally? i was mentally sick i yeah. had a brain fog that came over me and what i did i put my damn foot down i said this is bullshit guys I so i went and found a grass <laughs> rancher in north dakota and we went and bought you know about a thousand dollars worth of meat and I said i'm gonna start cooking for you guys and that helped a lot of people and it helped myself get back to there and we talk about that brain fog let's bring up dr mary care because she'll be speaking at the conference that we'll talk about here in a little bit mm-hmm. She talks about, you know, getting the parents to understand what's going on is hard sometimes. So what she does is, you know, she she basically demands a 48 hour bone broth fast Mm -hmm. because our our brains are inflamed. So you can say inflamed, you can say brain fog, whatever you want to say, it's confused. And once you can kind of eliminate that brain fog a little bit, then you can start. Mm -hmm. And if you give yourself a chance, 48 hours of your life that you can do something that is based on what we're talking about here. It is that simple step that you can step into, you can have some confidence in, and it will change your life. It does not have to be complicated. Mm -hmm. There's like this physical and then almost spiritual component to the fasting or the bone broth fasting, right? There really is. There's a reason why all different types of religions have incorporated fasting before, Mm -hmm. but we both, we've both experimented with bone broth fasting. I know for me personally with the colitis, my stomach is very sensitive to foods when I go off my diet. So if I ever do go off the diet, I typically will pay the price. And I'm not kidding. If I have a couple cups of bone broth with maybe some sea salt, maybe a little bit of butter in it, it's so soothing on the gut microbiome. It like, it wires me back to my baseline and I feel amazing afterwards. And I think mm-hmm. you could probably attest to the same thing. I know you, you do it all I the had time. Bone broth this morning. Um, it almost feels like it's a cheat code when you, it, these it foods is. almost feel like it, it's a cheat code. It's crazy how it's like, these are all foods that are natural to us that we could have at a moment's notice. And we just like, we offer the Cheez-Its and the Oreos and all these, these products that come out of a packaging when it's like nature's had everything that we've ever needed from the whole time. It's always been available to us and hopefully it'll always continue to be available to us. Right. I think that was the funny thing about us living together was like, <laughs> we were like, are we crazy? Is this, is this yeah. that good? Like, yeah. This, eating this <laughs> are we placebo? Yeah, right exactly. Now? Yeah. We could kind of check each other. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a great thing having an accountability partner too. Or just, it really is. And that's where Twitter's amazing because it's like best case scenario, you have a roommate or a close friend or a group of friends, people that you live with that can keep you accountable and you guys can prep your meals and talk about dietary strategies. But that's where Twitter's also amazing too, is you can create a virtual community, right? This relationship has been built virtually now in person, but you can seek out other people. You can join the Beef Initiative Telegram group. You can join the Meat Mafia Telegram group. 
And it's like the whole group we're, we're sharing different dietary strategies and recipes and farms that we source from. And that helps tremendously, right? Just seeking out your crew. And it's not that hard because, you know, we know everybody's addicted to damn chat rooms and whatnot. So if you're yeah. going to be in a chat room, you know, being one that's, you know, based on something that's going to help you be that sovereign individual. And, you know, one thing about what the beef initiative and what I've done as far as Texas Slim and, you know, the harvest of deception is that we can't be LARPers out there anymore. Mm -hmm. That's fiat mindset. What we have to do is, you know, I'm letting everybody know that this is kind of a barn raising that is grass fed and it's grassroots. Mm -hmm. That's how we win this game. We don't, we play, we play by the rules, but in a way that is decentralized. That's mm -hmm. why Bitcoin Twitter is so damn important because everybody, not everybody, but most people in Bitcoin Twitter, you know, I always say, you know, Bitcoin exposes a damn truth. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're ready to expose the truth and you can be okay with uh, looking in that, that mirror that holds you accountable to where it leads down this path, then you're going to be able to have that confidence. What you're also going to be able to do is we're, we're innovating in times of mass prohibition at this time. People don't understand that we are in a war and I, I don't say that lightly and I don't say it as far as something that is about violence. We're in an information war right now. Mm -hmm. We're in a war of networks on a global stance. You know, we have an information network. We have a monetary network. We're having an uh, industrial food network. There's a lot of networks that are vying for position to make us the product and nothing else. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at all the touch points of our food system and you guys have broken it down with me you know we we know what it is right mm -hmm. we know the uh the seed companies how big these these massively powerful uh families are in the world and how they've controlled the seed for years and years and years so you know by saying that you know people people don't understand you know what they're going up against well one thing you can you can actually really bring to the table and counter punch with is what i always say is that we innovate mm -hmm. and we innovate in the way that we're doing it right now and it is up to that individual and that individual that has friends you know that we we do form that relationship that's going to be a legacy in the long run. I mm -hmm. think about everything is it, right now, everything that I'm doing is for my son. Yes. You know, I've had my time. I've had that time to uh, experiment with food, with alcohol, with whatever you want to call it. It's not needed. We know it's not needed. And, you know, I'm older than you guys, of course, generational X. And one thing that I wish the only thing that I wish is that I knew what I knew when I was in the 20s like you. Mm -hmm. That's why this is so important for people to hear us. That's why it's so important for moms to hear this and to understand that we're not coming from a LARPing. We're not trying to make this stupid fiat money right now. What we're trying to do is change a freaking society and make them understand that it's time to demand the right type of food. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, that's what I want everybody that's, seeing this podcast, hearing this podcast, that this is happening. And what we're going to do is we're going to form a new health initiative across the United States and the regenerative farmer and rancher is going to be the one leading that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our messaging between the three of us comes down to the fact that we, we passionately believe that everyone has a right to, to their, to their metabolic health and the food that great food that goes into their system. And all we're trying to do is peel back the curtain and help them, you know, eat as primally as possible and live as primally as possible because we all deserve to thrive. We're, we're, it's incredible because once you start to eat a particular way and understand where your food's coming from, you feel like you have boundless energy the entire, the entire day 
but Western society, so many of the activities we do are, are, are stripping the energy out of you. It's like, you feel like you need to go for your morning coffee first thing in the morning. And then you're working this cube job that's sucking you of your energy and you hate your boss. And then you go home and you don't have energy to play for your kids, play with your kids. Like that's not a natural way to live, but making some of these changes can completely alter the course of your life for the better. That's why we say that the diet is like the baseline of your entire life, right? Because all of it mm -hmm. stems from that. We've changed all the three of us have changed our lives from eating a particular way. Like we, I promise you, I wouldn't be on this couch right now if I didn't change the way that I ate. That's why I feel so strongly about it. Sure. I mean, you can't go back. Yeah. I, I mean, can't go back and no. I, I can't go back and you taught, you said it beautifully. You described what we're doing is a war mm -hmm. and I view that I view it is a war. I view that there's a war of information. There's a war against big food. There's a war against the narrative that we're being told. Like if you, if you want to understand what the narrative is on nutrition, try and Google red meat and just Google red meat and health. The first 10, 15 pages, like you, you look at the search engine optimization, it's all bashing red meat, focusing on plant-based vegan diet. So if there is someone that's even interested in a carnivore or low carb approach, you have to sift so deep through the search results just to find something that's relevant to you because mm -hmm. the tech narrative is plant-based fake commodities and it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a fact. So <laughs> And if people <laughs> once again, another podcast, let's yeah. go back to just, you know, I think I wrote about it in the harvest of deception or the, the one of those series out of the harvest deception. And I brought up, you know, let's look at cholesterol. Right. Mm. And it was, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower had a heart attack in the 50s. And, you know, once again, here we go. Let's look at our president of the United States had a heart attack, our warrior, our soldier. You know, what is going on with our, you know, consumption? Well, you had the guy, you know, and the Ansel Keys comes along, right? Well, they didn't say that Eisenhower, they didn't admit that Eisenhower smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. Four packs. Yeah, four Insane. packs of cigarettes a day. Well, who was behind the cholesterol movement? You know, let's dig down deep mm -hmm. in that. Let's get into some intelligence here. And then, of course, you 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 put out a dang thread and uh, that thing blew up. Yep. And it was all about, you know, going back to the source of the seed of information and intelligence about how we got here. Mm -hmm. And that's what you guys have been doing ever since I wrote those articles and you've taken it so much more further than I did. There's a lot of rabbit holes out there to go down. Man, it is. Um, it's unlimited. Yeah, especially when it comes to health over the past 50 years. I mean, the Ansel Key story is is one of many. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and I think the, the narrative around cholesterol and saturated fat is one that is is the one that everyone turns to because I think it's the one that's closest to getting kind of overturned. There's a lot of great doctors out there, researchers doing work on it, but it's it's more of an understanding of okay, he's poke, he's smoking four packs of cigarettes a day and ends up dying uh, of heart disease, of heart disease, following the low fat diet. Right. Yeah. And the fact too, that this heart health hypothesis is a hypothesis. It's an unfounded hypothesis. And we've based our entire dietary approach off of this hypothesis from the fifties. Yep. And it's never been proven. And a, a study that he cherry picked yeah. seven countries to, to fit his narrative and idea of, it's just, it's like a classic um, misinformation or just, and, and, and the other thing too is when you, when you learn more about the guy Ansel Keys, you, you actually start to understand that he's, he's a powerful figure. He, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he had conviction behind what he was mm -hmm. doing. So people respected him in, in, you know, in a lot of ways, I think he just had so much conviction around what he was doing. It just got accepted, mm -hmm. um, which, 
you know, that, that's what happens. You got to be mindful and careful of who you're listening to. Yeah. Um, yep. And do your research. Yeah. I think in, in um, fat fiction, to your point, Nina Teichels, who wrote the big fat surprise mentioned that he had an incredibly bombastic personality mm-hmm. and he would literally debate anyone to the death, anytime, anywhere. He was able to maneuver his way onto the American heart, American heart association, who, by the way, got a $1.5 million donation from Procter and Gamble, like oh. you touched on in the early 1900s. Yep. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Procter and Gamble is saying how seed oils and vegetable oils are quote unquote heart healthy. And you're like, I don't think that this is all just a coincidence. It sounds like there were a step of behaviors that were taken. So, right. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's definitely interesting just to peel back the curtain and understand the history and the history is out there, right? It's available to any, anyone, anytime, any place. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the one thing about, let's look at, you know, as far as, um, you know, the, um, I guess how that evolved is whenever, marketing came into it mm-hmm. let's like you know american marketing how we've used it throughout the years crisco didn't take off in the beginning you know crisco was something that they had to market for decades mm-hmm. and they had to slow step into it and how it evolved in to where today our marketing you know as a you know as a nation and americans are the best marketers in the world mm-hmm. And whenever your food, basically you're, you're buying that food because of a marketing plan, you know, you've lost touch with what food is. And 100%. that's where we've evolved into because of the labeling laws that I bring up, you know, how, how, you know, the FDA basically this last year in October won a lawsuit where in 2022 and 2023, one to 2000 new chemicals are going to be allowed into our consumption models, into our food apparatus. And they really don't have to let us know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's under the grass rule that generally recognized as safe. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize that. And I know you guys, it dove down deep in that as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I come from a, a finance investments background. And so if you had someone come into you trying to pitch you on an investment idea, the first thing you say is, let me check your track record. And that's what we're trying to do with food. And when you're checking food's track record, it tells an interesting story. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote about this today, actually. So if you look back at some of the marketing campaigns into the seventies and sixties, you would be shocked at, oh, maybe not, uh, at what Kellogg, McDonald's, General Mills was putting out there on TV and who they were targeting. They were targeting kids. Mm -hmm. They were using messaging. They were getting your favorite celebrity. They were getting your favorite cartoon character. TV show character to come and endorse these products. And then you look at what's in it. It's, it's basically no fat. It's all sugar and basically no protein. Yeah. And then you go, okay, so what's happened between the seventies and now with our health for that generation. And you can see that the, the track record speaks for itself. We have a metabolic issue with that generation of people because the marketing dollars were being funneled to kit target kids and get them to eat these sugary foods that to go back to the addiction point are addictive and get them on the addiction train to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Plus they're not just getting addicted to what's on their tongue. They're watching it on TV. They're, they're getting programmed in, yeah. in, in more ways than one. So you think about that and you, you start to actually understand what, 
those companies did. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a whole new appreciation for everything that's getting put in front of you. You have to be skeptical. I don't care if there's the the nicest CEO and in, in a, a like he has good intentions and in he's running a big company. You have to be skeptical of of everything. Yeah, and that's it's a good point because that's what I wanted to bring to people's awareness is like because I always say the word daunting because what you just said is daunting. So mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they're they're hitting at everything from Disney to freaking cartoons to everything. three three boxes of cereal on the table growing up that was oh, fruity yeah. pebbles, sugar pops, and Fruit Loops. You know, talk, talk about the Flintstone vitamins. I mean, those are oh, sugar pills. Legitimate, yeah, legitimate <laughs> sugar are. pills. And they have, and they have a late, and they think they have a label that says like the number one vitamin recommended by pediatricians or something like that. Yeah. And Jesse Itzler, who's uh he's an ultra marathon runner and he founded a couple different companies. He's, he's pretty well known. I think he, he, he's done a couple Instagram posts where he said, I will pay. I think he's offered to speak to the CEO of Bayer who created the Flintstone vitamins. He's like, I'll I'll pay you a million dollars for a conversation just to learn more about who are these pediatricians that recommended it. Of course they never (laughs) took, took the bait on it. Um, But cereal is a great one, right? How we literally sit here and try and pretend like cereal is in a candy bar, like 30 grams of added sugar. And then they get the cartoon characters like Clemenza is mentioning. They put it on the back of the box. They put the, the nutrition label on the side. So no one looks at it it's pretty uh, predatorial in nature. And you're giving like you're, you're talking to the moms of the world out there. You're giving that to your child. He or she gets a sugar crash. They can't part they, they can't focus incredibly well. And then what do you do? Then you take him or her to the doctor and then, Oh, I can't focus. So they get them on Adderall or some other mm-hmm. type of type of drug that they're dependent on. Right. We're 27, 28. So we both have crops of friends that got on ADD medication when they were young. Yeah. Now they're working corporate jobs None of them can focus. They're completely dependent on this little pill to be able to, to do anything productive. So it's just, a, it's a whole system and it's a whole cycle. And we're not trying to be negative. We're just trying to peel back the curtain on what's going on. But then we also, the three of us want to give solutions to what's going on too, because we can beat these companies, right? You literally have the ability to vote with your dollar every single time you choose to purchase your food. Exactly. So let's show them how to vote the right way. Yeah. And, and that's the way to do it is, that's what I kind of came to as far as man, I grew up and I knew these guys and you know, my grandfather, I I knew him. I ever, Oh wait, man, I, I have the solution. I'm going to go shake a damn rancher's hand Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get curious. I'm going to get curious about my childhood again. I'm going to get curious because that the, the consumption model that I had, cause I had it both ways mm. growing up, we had bacon and eggs, bacon and eggs, bacon and eggs. That's it. And it was just bacon and eggs. And then all of a sudden, you know, in a, as a child of the seventies, all of a sudden we, we had the lucky charms. We had, you know, I could dig in that lucky charms box and find that treasure, you know? And so we had, I, I was able to compare and contrast. And then I was able to say, well, my grandfather, then everybody around me in the small town, Texas, that I grew up in is like, man, you go up and I, I talked to, you know, with Marty yesterday, you go up and shake a rancher's hand. He's going to want to talk to you and tell you what he does because you, you're very proud of it. It's 24 mm. seven proof of work. And you're going to, you're going to learn about, man, this is how we did get here. And then of course I started looking in and it's like, well, you know, let's look at the the cattle industry in the state of Texas, you know, how it started and how it formed the state of Texas. The power behind the state of Texas was started in 1878 with the cattle industry that we created after the Civil War because we started free feeding a nation. And we fed that nation all the way up until, you know, 
50s, 60s, 70s. And all of a sudden, especially after we went off the gold standard, that there was a big hit. Mm -hmm. The cattle industry really was thriving in the 50s in a way that was very Man, it was based. It was fun to look back in the 50s. You talk to the people in the cattle industry, well, we started seeing something in the 60s that we didn't like. And mm-hmm. then here we go, the 70s. And then you look back and it's like, what the F happened in 1971? And you start doing that as an individual, I mean, the correlation with our food, our health, how it changed. And here we are now, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years later, like you say. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing. And in Every individual can get there by going up and checking a rancher's hand because they have the story. Absolutely. And we've, we've experienced it ourselves with great stories from people here in Texas mm-hmm. that we've just gotten the chance to go out and hang out on their farm for an afternoon and talk to them for two, three hours about their story. And you hear it and it changes your perspective on how food should be produced. They, they care more than anything about caring for their local community and then how food should be consumed. I mean, there, there's a, a relationship there that is not just something that's romanticized or, uh, or that shouldn't just be romanticized. It's, it's a intentional way of eating that, you know, you're relying on another person for them to, to help you like sustain life, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's important. You're not, not relying on some, someone who, you know, is across the world growing uh, monoculture wheat that's going to end up being in your cereal box, right? Like you're relying on the person up the street who actually cares about what they're doing and what they're putting on their, what they're putting on your plate. So Mm -hmm. I think that relationship is, is seriously important. And and I very much credit you for getting us down that, that rabbit hole and just how important that relationship can be. Well, what it does is whenever you do uh, establish that relationship, you have that one-on-one contact, uh, it it battles something else that's going on in this, this country, especially in the world because of where we've come with social media, with our devices that we use to communicate, you know, there's a division of interpersonal communication that's going on very, you know, it's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. People don't know how to talk to each other anymore. And so once you're able to go up there and look at a rancher in his eyes and say, Hey, teach me, I want to learn everything that you got to tell me, you know, I want to be your student. And once you do that, I'm going to own that. And then tell me how I can help you. Mm-hmm. And w- once you form that relationship, what you have is a bond that is a communication structure that my grandfather taught me to what that leads to is you're, you're, you're localizing a thought process that helps the community in which you're choosing to establish that, that little tribe or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, that builds nodes and that builds, you know, small little networks. And that's what we are right now. Mm-hmm. We're a network. Well, you look at the correlation of Bitcoin and the decentralization of Bitcoin and everything, it, it goes hand in hand. It's symbiotic. And that's why I said, well, okay, we, we got to get these ranchers into a, Bitcoin ethos uh, type of understanding because they were being far more decentralized than a lot of Bitcoiners even know how to act these days. Mm -hmm. Once we merge those two thought processes together, you know, you're going to have something that basically gives a new store of value to everybody's life. The ranchers understanding there's a new store of value for that cow, Mm -hmm. for their lifestyle. Then we, as consumers, we have, there's a new store of value for our health, for that sovereign mindset and ability to be that. By saying that, tell us about some of the, the, what you just brought up as far as you went out and visited some ranches. What was your experience? 
Yeah, so we went out to uh, LaGrange, Texas, one of the first, one of the first weekends we were down yep. here. Mm-hmm. And we we went out to um, the Jersey Barnyard, which is this dairy farm out there. It's a regenerative farm. And we, we just wanted to talk to them and mm-hmm. uh, hear their story. And they were open to it. And so we sat down. Uh, Matt Donovan was with us, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. good buddy. And uh we, we sat there for two hours and just talked to them about their story. And they're telling us how they've run into a handful of challenges through the financial crisis, through losing a son, um, through uh, a fire that ripped up their farm mm-hmm. and how the local community was really kind of what got them through it and their own legacy, which was their fifth generational farmers been on the land for over a hundred years in his, in, uh, Ralph's family. And they weren't going to give that land up. And so they, they were willing to put their foot in the ground and they're starting to see, they're starting to see the benefits of it. But I think they're just starting to see that after 10, 15 years of really having to grind through it. And they're doing things absolutely the right way in terms of how they're processing, uh, you know, working regeneratively on the land, trying to use minimal inputs, low input farming, no chemicals, uh, and and really just trying to do everything in a way that supports biodiversity on their land, supports the health of the soil so they can do it long-term. It's, it's really, it is that long-term thinking that they have and and is demanded of a a high quality farmer who's not using these chemicals. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the chemicals are, are the the short-term thinking, right? Like, Hey, we're just going to pump this soil with fertilizer, herbicide uh, loaded with glyphosate and all, all sorts of chemicals that get into our food system. And the alternative is, we're going to play the long game here. We're going to get a bunch of animals on the land. We're going to rely on cover crops. We're going to work on the soil, mm-hmm. restore the soil. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. And so them doing that is, is actually, I mean, it, it's an eye opener when you start talking about the parallels between that and Bitcoin, right? Like yeah. you, you do, you do see the natural uh, parallels in a lot of ways. And I think that with these farmers who are taking the long-term view, they're saying that they care about the land. They care about what's happening 10, 20, 30, a hundred years from now, who's going to inherit it. And I think Ralph and faith who own Jersey barnyard told us an amazing story that I mean, I'll I'll never forget it. It changed my life for sure. And um, they, they just believe in, in what they're doing and building a legacy out there, which I think it just, it sat with me for sure. And, And I, don't want to speak for you, but uh, I'm sure you felt yeah, the same way. They were, I think we were both just struck at how principles driven they were, especially mm-hmm. under after them telling us their full story and understanding how tough some of the years actually were knowing that they could have, they could be selling their farm for $15,000 an acre and they could be multimillionaires and never have to worry about any of this again, or taking right. care of the cows, the farmland, et cetera. But understanding that this, commitment to like nourishing the community with the best possible food and dairy possible. That was, that was really their driving force and wanting to actually pass on this family legacy. That's now multi-generational. It was incredibly inspiring. And you contrast that to a lot of other farms where, you know, they're an hour outside of tech, they're hour ish outside of Austin. They don't even do drop-offs to Austin. If you want to buy dairy from them, they want you to come out to their farm because they want to actually meet you. They want you to see the operation. They're like a completely open book which Mm -hmm. is very contrasting to a lot of other operations that are out there today. So 
and they almost didn't even know what to do with us when we showed up. Like they thought we had some bigger <laughs> oh, mission man. in mind, which makes sure. sense for them to be skeptical. Of course. But we literally said like, we're, you know, we're just, we've been drinking a lot of raw dairy. Like we want to connect with our local farm. Like we want to just learn more about your story and what you do. And we had like a three hour conversation. So I think that's probably one of the big things is we would encourage everyone just to find a local farm or farmer or go to your farmer's market and like you always mentioned, just shake their hand and talk to them and find out how you can help. Because I think you'd be shocked at how willing and receptive they are to getting to meet you and tell their story. Yeah. After that ice is broken and you do, you go through that. I, I get it every time, <laughs> yeah. man. They, they look at me all weird. Who's Suspect. this dude calls himself Texas Slim? And what, yeah. what the hell is his motivation here? Exactly. And they go, well, what, what do you want? Do I owe you any money? Yeah. You know, I was like, man, no, I'm just trying to help you out. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're taken aback. And the reason they're taken aback is because we live in that type of deception as a society anymore. People are kind of suspect, especially the, you know, a lot of the uh, ranchers and farmers, they have to, they have to be protective of their information, of their lifestyles, you know, and they have to battle that type of corruption of spirit and intentionality that people coming at them. Mm-hmm. Once they do understand that you come with, you know, open hands and saying, Hey man, I'm just trying to hear your story and I want you to educate me, man. That's a floodgate of information that you can really leverage. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all we're doing here. Yep. You know, that's, that's the conversation that we are having. And that's the beautiful thing about, you know, how simple this is. Mm-hmm. And you, like you said, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life you know, that three to four hours that you took that day. Absolutely. And I think it goes beyond that too, where we've gotten to connect with people virtually like Jason Rick and and, in person with Cole Mm -hmm. Bolton, who runs KNC cattle and just getting to know them too. I mean, at the beef and Bitcoin event, hearing Cole's story, I mean, he had the room on ice that night, right? Like it was incredible. And you just, you listen to someone because the contrast between their world and the, life in Austin couldn't be more different on a day-to-day basis. So Mm -hmm. you, you see him come in and and speak with heart and, and purpose about what he's doing. And it's this, you're you're like just struck by it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think he he cares to, to the deepest level about what he's doing. And that's, that's fascinating. You know, you, you talk to Cole Bolton, he's a VP of a banker, you know, he's a professional team roper. He's a third, fourth generational rancher. Mm -hmm. You know, he never, he never slows down and it's not like he's getting rich here, man. He's doing it because it's his lifestyle. It's what he was taught and he wants to bring that to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And once we, as the consumer is, you know, whatever we are to, to Cole, you know, that type of lifestyle is very easy to pull off. And that's what we're trying to do this year is like, I, I think I told, you know, Adam Curry the other day, I said, we're establishing a new international lifestyle and it's starting right here in central Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to have these conferences across the United States this year. You know, we're going to have the first one in Kerrville, Texas this Saturday. And, uh, you know, it's our first conference. I just, how I do things, I just jump in. I, you know, I don't plan too much. It's the best so way. Just it dive is. In. Hell yeah. It's the only way to do it, Break man. Just so, go for it. <laughs> I've had so many people try to talk me out of it. And I said, you don't even know who the hell I am. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't even, don't even come there with me. But, um, 
it's going to be a fantastic conference because we're bringing the health, we're bringing the rancher, mm-hmm. we're bringing the money, we're bringing, um, you know, people that have lived the life yep. of, a, of, a, of getting their health back in order, of that accountability. Mayor. Yep. It's full Doctors. stream to where, you know, I'm leading, okay, we're going to start this whole narrative in the United States, this, this health initiative that we're going to do is based on sound money, sound health, sound communications for a sound future. And once we can start describing that outline and giving that narrative for the rest of the year moving forward, we're creating a wave. We're creating an algorithm. And I, you know, I talked to Marty in the very first podcast. I said we're going to build an algorithm across the United States, and that's what we're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I, I reached out to you guys. You guys know Jason Rick mm-hmm. and Rick Ranches in Colorado. I said, Hey, Jason. I said, You want the Meat Mafia to come speak at your, uh, you know, at your conference? Because it is. We're going to have it at his his ranch mm-hmm. in Colorado, Crawford, Colorado in July. And he's like, hell yeah. So I asked you guys. And so guess what? You guys are going to be speaking there in Crawford, Colorado in July. That's an algorithm that we're building and people are going to want to come see that, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to be and it. It basically makes you guys own what you're doing. You're going to have to step up your game. A hundred percent. And that's what it's about. Yeah. When we look when we, to, to us with the beef initiative, we feel like you're just building an entirely new system that's actually incentivizing the right behaviors. This direct right. connection point between consumer, rancher, the rancher is incentivized to, to, to give you the best quality nourishing food that's possible. It's going to nourish your family. It's going to give you good caloric, dense calories. You in turn are directly just paying them, giving them your dollar, your Bitcoin, however, however you want to pay them. And it's, you know, a lot of people are just so disconnected, right? It's like you go to a supermarket, you pick up your meat neatly wrapped in this package. It's probably touched by one of the big four meat processors that controls 90% of all the meat that are in a supermarket. They undercharge the rancher, they overcharge you, the consumer. The beef initiative is basically saying, no, we're going to build the right system that's going to be the best thing for you nutritionally. It's going to be the best thing for you price-wise. It's going to be great for the rancher. So we're excited about that. And you're taking it a step further where you're doing these in-person conferences, which is, I think is so important because COVID in some ways has made people forget the importance of actually all connecting, right? getting under one roof or one farm and actually connecting and getting to meet each other, hug each other and just build these genuine relationships. And who knows what's going to come from that Colorado conference, but we're yeah. just so excited to be able to meet everyone and be a part of it and just try and preach our messaging to help people be healthier. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, Colorado is going to be a destination spot. It's mm-hmm. not going to get off the airplane and, uh, you know, get your Uber and, you know, kind of go listen to people talk. This is going to mm-hmm. be bring like, your an, yeah. Yeah, bring your tent. I mean, you, some people will be able to camp out on the ranch, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's places around that part of Colorado that are, you know, everybody get their Google out. It's Crawford, Colorado. <laughs> there's a little places there like Paonia, Colorado. There's a, you know, there's all kinds of neat little gems there in that part of Colorado. So, reflection time mm-hmm. and you know i tell everybody they ask me why why kerrville so well because you, you got to drive to get there mm-hmm. you know it's just not this convenience model that we're used to and so this whole year is going to be that type of you know destination spot in the mind in the body in the spirit and once we can you know kind of build that momentum of what we're trying to do here today that's what we're doing we're building momentum we're building awareness mm-hmm. and you know people are gonna they're gonna understand that there is a lifestyle especially after covid you know uh, you know, my 
my hopefully my boy will meet you guys this yep. weekend. And, you know, he's 17. Okay, he's going to be going into the real world this year. We have moms that are going, okay, it's springtime, summertime. What are we going to do this year with our children with, you know, summer camps? Anything that's going on this year, I'm going to try to facilitate in a way and orchestrate that it's going to make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be based on a freaking chemical. It doesn't have to be based on a prescription. It doesn't have to be based on a marketing plan. What it is, it's a decentralized node system that we've came from, our grandparents knew, and it's a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows what I'm doing. What are you, what, what's your plans this year? What are you really trying to accomplish this year within the meat mafia? Yeah, so I would say things for us have picked up quickly and grew pretty organically. We did. And it started with a bunch of the threads that we were doing on Twitter, right? And we've grown a bit of an audience and that's absolutely going to continue to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, just continuing to put great informational pieces out there on Twitter, on our podcast, on other mediums that we're going to build out. Um, but beyond that, we have intentions of helping facilitate people and create on-ramps for people to eat more real foods. And mm-hmm. I think part of that is putting uh, products out there that can, and I say products as in real whole foods products, not the ones that you crack open a bag of chips yeah. types mm-hmm. of product and um, just create on-ramps for people to start living with the way that we speak about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that, our mission right now is focused around continuing to put the great uh, information out there, but then also building on top of that, you know, creating the ex, you know ability to actually access the, this lifestyle other than, you know, just, just reading about it or, or um, consuming it. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to that. I would say, no, I would say that for us moving forward, it's going to be the, the core ethos of everything we do is just putting out, really good information to teach people about their food and where the food is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, we want to actually embody that to what Clemenza said to, to actually be able to put something in someone's hands that they can use to cook with, whether it's a beef tallow product or for moms to have access to a, almost like an ancestral lunchable with real foods that are ready to go for your kids, whether it's some meat, some cheese, nuts, honey, et cetera. That's really what we want to do. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to actually create something that can empower people to live a healthier lifestyle. So, and I think to Clemenza's point, this has all grown so fast that we have this, the idea now it could change moving forward. Sure. But the core of what we're always going to be doing is just trying to give people as much knowledge and education as possible and try and build a community. It really is. You just got to keep the signal going and strong. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to come across so many decisions that you have to make. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't think about the beef initiative when I started the harvest of deception, then it led to the beef initiative. And now it's becoming something even bigger. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a production, it's orchestration. It's, you know, it is a brand and, you know, we're just going to move forward with it. And, the narrative has to be something that is concrete. And when I was speaking to the ranchers with Cole, with Jason, with Justin up in the panhandle, you know, it's a vertical integration into human health. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the soil then it goes to the grass, then it goes to the cow, goes to the producer, then to the processor, then to the supplier and to the market access. And once we control every one of those touch points, that's what you guys are doing with, you know, your, your, hopefully your, your dreams of products to the the Mm -hmm. consumers. If everybody can start looking at that outline and that progression of that integration into human health, this is what all of us are doing right now is a health initiative that's going to be led by the American rancher. 
And that's what we have to do is that's, that's the story that will be told this year. hundred percent. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we said at one point your rancher should have a bigger impact on your health than your, your doctor. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that sits with us that, that we want to make that happen. Exactly. Let's, you know, I, what I want to do this year, I want the American rancher to be proud of us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 100%. what I, they, they deserve it. Uh, we owe it to them. And uh, you know, that's, what's going to be very rewarding this year. And so anybody listening to this, if you have a rancher, if you have an animal producer that you want them to know about, go to the beefinitiative.com, go to the producer's page and input their information into that producer's page. You can do it free. It's input, it's crowdsourced. We want everybody out there to be able to start doing that because this is a collective. This is grass fed grassroots. That's what you guys are doing. That's what I'm doing. There's no competition across the board here. There's no competition with the ranchers. Everybody can participate and you can say, this is my protocol on how I live my life and how I generate pure animal protein. Saying that, um, go ahead and let us know what's the best way to get a hold of you guys. What's the best input that people can come, you know, to, to provide, to find out more. Yeah, we're Twitter guys. So I think, uh, Twitter's the easiest Avenue right now. We're the meat mafia on Twitter. I'm, uh, Clemenza at Carney Clemenza. And then I'm at Mr. Salazzo. And then we also have a podcast that's on all major podcast platforms called the Meat Mafia Podcast. Right. And then we also have a newsletter that we recently started on Ghost, too. So we're sending out newsletters every Friday. And it's really just a collection of just some of our favorite cooking fats or articles or documentaries or things that have really helped shape the way that we think about nutrition. Right. Just trying to put out some helpful gems similar similar to what you're doing. But I would say Twitter's probably the best way to connect with us. Sure. And we try and respond to all DMs too. If we get questions all the time just on tactics of how to connect with their farmer or, or how to cook or how to grocery shop, like we love responding to that stuff. So feel free to shoot us a DM anytime. Yeah. Keeping it simple like that. Yeah, you know, simple. start the conversation and then go from there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We're all about building relationships. So the more people that want to reach out and connect, the better is the way that we see it. Fantastic. Guys, it's been a, a, a long time making, I guess, because we tried this before. We had some internet connection problems. We, <laughs> I'm glad we, we did. So much yeah, better I'm doing so it. Glad we did look look where we're sitting. I, know. I mean, look Things at the crew we have. have. We've got a great I mean, crew. We've got all these production guys helping us. Marty's letting me sit in his seat. You know, come on, man. We've come a long <laughs> way. Yes. TFTC. Here we go. Yeah. Carr, Logan, everybody, you know, Parker Lewis. I mean, things are happening here in Austin, Texas. I might have to move back half time. So I think I might, I don't know, we'll see. Curiosity killed the cat. We'll see what happens. (laughs) So thanks guys, man. We appreciate you, man. Good luck. Appreciate you. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing.